Hello and welcome to this edition of PointCast. Today we have with us Dr. Lauren Harden. I'd like to thank Dr. Lauren for being with us today and we're going to learn more about uh, Dr. Lauren, what she does as a doctor. But first we're going to learn about Dr. Lauren's backstory and some of the issues that matter to her. So Dr. Lauren, thank you so much for being with us here on PointCast. I really appreciate you. Thank you for having me. No worries, no worries. I'd like to, as I stated in the intro, I'd love to learn a little bit more about who Dr. Lauren Harden is, yes. how you got to where you are today, where you're from, just, just a little bit about um, who you were to get to who you are. Okay, awesome. Yeah, so um, again, thank you for having me, and uh, hello to all your listeners out there. I'm Dr. Lauren Harden, and I was born and raised here here in Indianapolis, and I guess I say here because this is where I met you, Francine, but your listeners could be from anywhere, so I was <laughs> born and raised in, in Indianapolis. Um, I went to North Central High School and graduated from um, Indiana University, then uh, went out to uh, California for chiropractic school for about four and a half years and um, came back, started my own practice. But um, that is just kind of like the general map. The, the thing that got me to where I was actually was sports. Um, when I was in high school, I played basketball and um, softball. And then when I went to college, I wasn't an athlete, but I took a degree in kinesiology and got a bachelor of science in athletic training. And that was new at the time where you could actually get um, a BS in athletic training. And so I joined up in that program. It was a fairly small program mm -hmm. within Indiana University. If you're unaware, that is a huge school. It's a division one school. And so... <clears throat> In order to uh, make that place a little bit smaller, it was cool to join the athletic training program because that took my class size to about 22 and not just 22 to uh, 35 people, but the same people over the course of three years and interacting with the collegiate athletes. And so on my journey, we um, were exposed to various sports, <clears throat> excuse me, various sports, and I kind of stuck with and got most attracted to the track and field sport, mainly because of the way that the track and field athletes and the runners were moved, and studying kinesiology and working with track and field athletes is actually really cool because you get to apply everything that you're learning about in class to actual people and you know why what you do helps that athlete run jump or throw better you know and so I was really attracted to that field and I found out when I was uh, thinking about my postgraduate education that a lot of my track athletes were seeing a chiropractor <clears throat> And I knew I either wanted to go to PT school, physical therapy school, or uh, do something, be a doctor in some kind of way. I wasn't in love with the athletic training schedule or the level of respect that came with that job. Mm. It is very, um, now you talk about politics. Sports has a lot of politics. Right. And that job is like extreme uh, small potatoes. And it's very... Uh, 
it's a, it's a heavy stress job because it is based off of what you do to keep your athletes on the field. And I didn't want that pressure. That's like a lot of pressure at the collegiate level. Didn't even want to experience it at the professional level where people's bodies are worth millions of dollars, right? Uh-huh. And so with all that in mind, I was like, well, my track athletes have never said a bad thing about their chiropractor. I've never been to a chiropractor. Let me try this out. Went and shadowed somebody. And I thought it was a pretty cool profession. I applied, looked at the course schedule. I had already taken most of the classes in my athletic training mm-hmm. curriculum. So it seemed like it was easy, uh, easy trans, you know, transfer. Mm-hmm. I got into school. Now, mind you, I still had never had an adjustment before. I didn't even know what chiropractic therapy was, right. but I knew what athletic training therapy was. And I knew how to be a therapist because track and field athletes require a lot of therapy and a lot of like personal like it's very uh demanding on your body mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so as a prote- practitioner you kind of have to play that role so I was very familiar with that role and okay. if you know about the Olympics a lot of the track and field athletes train out in California and so I'm like okay my school everything is pointing to California there's a chiropractic school there loved all this got into the school I'm gonna just head that way went out there loved it Got my first adjustment and I was scared to death. I was like, this is what I'm here to learn. I'm here to learn how to crack people's necks. So you didn't get your first adjustment until after you got into the school? I was fully grown. I was fully grown. You have to be 21. I was 21. And so it's so cool that I work with people that are way younger than me getting their first adjustment now because I'm telling you, I laid on that table and even then I got adjusted. My first adjustment was given to me by an intern, somebody in clinic learning how to adjust people. And I was like terrified. (laughs) That's a little scary given. Yes, terrified. What was that first adjustment like for you? Amazing. So I have, I remember my intern, his name was Brady. He was very, very nice. Hands were very, very soft. And because I was um, pretty unknowing about the process, I was able to naturally just relax. I just told myself, if people were in here really hurting people doing this, this would not be a profession. This would have been nipped in the butt like so long ago. And so that thought in my mind gave me peace enough to relax. I loved my first adjustment. It was awesome. So all of this led you down the path that you're on based on your experience with athletics. So did you come from an athletic family or what what got you into? Yeah. My mother was a, um, I think she was a dual collegiate athlete at Marion University. And so she was, I believe now, don't quote me, I think that she was one of the first or the only person in, out of all of her siblings to go to college. She played high school sports, which got her a college scholarship to Marion University. And she played volleyball and basketball there. And then my dad just played basketball in the streets with his homies. So, and he swore he could be my mom, but we never saw it before. They never, so we never know. The jury is out on that. But they were very sport oriented. And then um, my siblings and I were as well growing up. My brother played basketball. I played basketball. My sister did. We all just kind of did a lot of sports. But 
I guess the irony now, which I guess we can talk about this later, is I barely even watch sports now. Really? And, oh my gosh, I'm I'm still in love with track, but I do not go out of my way because of the same stories that led me to chiropractic. Mm-hmm. I barely go out of my way for it, to to get athletic related jobs now. They they still find me because I still have the skills and I still have the knowledge and I'm still very willing and I'm a great like I have a uh athlete right now that is a potential olympic um 2021 olympic athlete that we're gonna definitely put in full force and be going like i'm into that and i his success is my main priority but i'm more patient oriented i'm more about you than what you do Mm -hmm. and i want to help you accomplish what you want to do but i'm still just here more so focused on patient and not sport based off of my experiences talk about let's dive in let's talk about the politics of sports and help us and uh, <laughs> that space because you made a comment earlier about the human body being worth millions of dollars and keeping the that body on the field but you didn't make any comment about keeping that body well mm-hmm. so well enough to play is different than well in my mind is is that yes so help me to understand how does how does the um, how does the politics of sports affect people like you and other practitioners who have these clients that they're looking after? How do you balance out their need to be healthy for their sport versus their need to be healthy overall? Well, I think one thing to like an important thing to make note of is any person who does athletics or sports for a living for a millions of dollars for hundreds of thousands of any dollar tag amount of money if that is their passion then politics it it works its way in through the form of money Mm. always always and so in any you know with the organizations that that's what it comes down to and I think that one thing you said earlier was really important about being well I think that the fact that we had so many sporting organizations pressing so hard to still try and come and force their athletes to play in this pandemic is evidence of that. If you are well, I mean, you test negative for COVID, then you're set aside for your sport and whatever tournament is going on right now. But you, we don't necessarily, and then it's just like, you're just a player out. We're going to play with whoever else is in. And as many people go down, then we'll just deal with it. And we'll just plug as many players are still available that don't test positive for COVID and we'll make a, you know, we'll make a, a sporting event go down based off of that. It's just, it, they're not really concerned. And a lot of the players were concerned more about their safety. And I think that's what was going back. A, a lot of the talks going back and forth with between um, the union, the organization about how to move forward with the NBA, how to move forward with the NFL. Those talks were primarily about the athletes being concerned about their own safety and wellness versus their uh, employers trying to make a dollar off of them. Mm-hmm. And so even at the collegiate level, if an, if an athlete, I've seen it so many times, a coach will come into the athletic training room to put pressure on an athletic trainer to get a player to, that is not necessarily ready to play to be able to play even just a few minutes or like they want to come and check. How can you do your job and make sure that your patient is recovering over 
mind you, this is the body's end-all goal and result. We have no idea how long this person will take. We could just help it. But a coach will come in to the training room every day and ask you, so what are we looking like for such and such return? You know, when can we start working them in? When can we start getting them into practice? And that, like, this is the business. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, I'm thinking, well, you know, I could go in and hand sew the tissue myself, but then that would take even more recovery. You know, it's just, there's nothing we can do. Maybe there's an argument to be made for college students who play sports. Now, I've never worked in for, at, for a large team, so I wouldn't be able to tell you. But one thing that I will say that also turned me off that didn't that had me not even think about considering trying to apply for any NFL or NBA or national organizational jobs mm-hmm. is that they also try and pay their healthcare providers in gear, tickets, and associations. Now that social media is a thing, um, you can even get paid with like some tags, which is twiddling your fingers in a phone. Like it, it amounts to exposure. Um, and that's what they want. They want to be, you know, such and such chiropractor. But again, that's nothing, that's not something that aligns with what I see for myself and or for body mechanics. And so not to say that we would ever turn down any organization that would want our services because we help everybody, but we are not so pressed to be body mechanics, the official chiropractor of such and such, such and such, such and such. Like we, we would much rather take your individual athletes and have them come into the office and get well and be away from your spotlights and your drama and your politics so that they can focus on the thing that they actually want to be focused on, which is being a good athlete, protecting Mm -hmm. their um, investment, which is their body. Now, in your opinion, as a practitioner, um, and looking out for the healthcare of bodies and wellness overall, do you believe during this current time with COVID-19 or any outbreak of any sort that athletes should be playing uh no contact sports i mean it it just depends in a pandemic no like if we were dealing with things we normally are able and capable of dealing with like the flu which happens every year you know we always are very aware of things that come with the seasonal changes like pneumonia like the bronchitis like the common cold even in the warmer um climates you worry about seasonal allergies in contact with other human beings you just come in you you um interact with all kinds of different types of microorganisms. And that's what getting sick is, is microorganisms invading your body that your body just doesn't like. And so it just adjusts itself to either get rid of it or the microorganisms get rid of you. It's really one or the other. Our struggle is balanced so that our microorganisms can fight off any type of um pathogens that come in to try and do us ill will it is happening all the time mm-hmm. now with the sports you have contact you have people i mean you can't really that's the appeal of it is the violence and the closer the better i mean or i mean even basketball that's a i mean you, you're posting somebody up it's golf <laughs> Turned into one, right? <laughs> yes. I mean, now golfers are going to have to start carrying their own bags because of the six-feet rule, and they like, uh-uh, no. <laughs> like, something like that. All sports have their own kind of parameters 
that they can change to help them in this, but is it profitable? That is where you start to get into the politics of it. Is it profitable? And is the profit, does it outweigh the safety? Like, can we just sit somebody down and put somebody in their place and still make the same amount of money? Or do we really need to stop? That's the, that's what it'll come down to, I think. Yeah. I want to schools. I'm sorry. I said, similar to how we're seeing our schools now going back to being primarily in home now. Yes. Yes. We are seeing that a great deal. Um, and I want to talk about something um, that's come up during this whole, uh, during the, the whole pandemic phase is this whole disparity uh, in, in healthcare and medical care and wellness care uh, that, that is showing up where uh, African-Americans or people of color are getting sicker, dying at higher rates. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I want to know if you've, if you've seen um, this disparity uh, with people taking care of their bodies or the wear and tear on their bodies, have, if you've seen this disparity yourself in what you do? Um, <clears throat> one, I, I wouldn't say, I will, let, let me answer this in this way. An interesting thing that I have found with working in Indiana with normal population demographics is that people think that chiro- black people think that chiropractors are just for personal injury. Mm. Most, almost, I will have to say more than half of my patients, I, 75% to 80% of my patients have never seen a chiropractor before, my black patients. And then the 20% of black patients that, that have seen a chiropractor before saw them because of a car accident only associated the care with car accident. Mm-hmm. Other than that, chiropractic care is seen as um, some sort of quackery and some sort of, and even in that sense, because it is only associated with personal injury and patients get paid for that. Mm-hmm. It even plays into that role, like, oh, you know, chiropractors, you just, you can get paid. That, that's one of the first things people think about. And I think that that is a disservice because of all of that wealth and the health, um, of the wealth of education that you have when it comes to the health of your spine mm-hmm. and how important your spine and your nerves and alignment is to your overall health mm-hmm. and wellness. That health education is a form of alternative wellness and a form of preventative wellness that has been researched to show that it makes a difference in statistics, um, health statistics like heart disease, like things that are diabetes or um, weight obesity, things that are killing people in the Black community. Mm-hmm. Um, and so not having that access to that information because we are so associated Mind you, there are probably only eight or nine black chiropractors in a whole city of Indianapolis, mm-hmm. um, like currently, like you just don't see it. And so it's been kind of stereotyped for white people that white people see chiropractors and black more people. regularly. Well, yeah. About educating, how do you currently educate people about uh, health and wellness from your uh, perspective as a practitioner? Uh, how do you inspire people to care about their overall well-being in the way that you just described? Well, um, one way uh, that I am 
fortunate to use is we uh, body mechanics host medically speaking on AM thirteen ten, which is a local radio one station also on 92.7 FM and one of my goals for that um, show is to invite healthcare practitioners that work directly with the African-American community Mm -hmm. and people that are not afraid to talk about it that's another thing is whether you're white or black you need to be able to address black issues if you are if your patient is black like you need to be comfortable with doing that and so now we see like a a wave of more black people actually seeking out black health care professionals and that's wonderful like you should because we are here for you Mm. however we don't want to forget that educating our white counterparts also on things to look for because now we see that even your color is um like one of the first, uh, oh, I'm blanking on the word. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> one of the first. It's, yeah, oh, the pre, um, yes. Yeah. What'd you just say? Yes, exactly. I'm sorry. No, you're but, um, So we, um, so just knowing that when you see a black person walk into your office, that that is associated the the color of their skin because of the history in this country is associated and embedded with any type of um like situations that you consider health wise just consider is all we say we interviewed and talked to a nurse practitioner and one of the issues that she brought up as an African-American healthcare worker is that she has seen Black patients simply not be heard or planning their illnesses not be taken seriously as though they don't know what's wrong with their bodies. And since people have been turned away from care when in fact they needed probably that care and more. Um, How do you, in, in your explanation earlier about educating your white counterparts how do you teach health practitioners to listen uh to the voices of african americans who are coming in with particular illnesses and not just throwing some solution at them that you think might fit but really listening to them hearing their their issues and responding to uh the pains that they're expressing um you know, the best way I think is just we need to re um reappropriate the time in in front of patients. One thing that I can say that my patients tell me about our visits is that face to face time, twenty minutes or twenty-five minutes, whatever they get in that appointment time is probably about the longest that they'll see with the actual doctor that they made an appointment with. Mm-hmm. And so being there and not telling your staff or your nurse practitioner, actually you being the one going through and seeing that patient face-to-face speaking with, if you feel that there is a considerable concern, not even that, I I don't even want to say that because if they're there, then you need to consider that they're there because they have a considerable concern. Mm -hmm. So that's first and foremost, but then taking the time to be in front of them, to look them in their face, to look them in their eyes. A part of the uh, um, exam is an observation. Are they irritated? Are they, you know, what, what color, the color of their face? How are they speaking to you? Are they alert, aware? Like there are so many things that you just need to be very present 
and to actually have a conversation with your patient about Mm -hmm. to be able to diagnose properly. Mm -hmm. And then to kind of realize that it's not always going to be a quick story that you need to be able to look at them and remember if you have seen them before Mm -hmm. things that compound things that they may have told you before that or to check the chart Mm -hmm. look at what they were there for beforehand and consider the history Mm -hmm. of what they're telling you because it could be or couldn't be related but every patient is a puzzle every patient is a puzzle and they could be a different puzzle every time but you have to kind of piece the parts to make sense and realizing that just doing that helps them out. Just doing that. I have patients that come in that I cannot help. I have patients that come in that are, their spines are fused together, not even by metal, but like their actual bones are fused because of the, um, abnormal, like abnormalities in posture, just chronic overuse, a bunch of stuff that adjustments can't move. What do you do for that person? You sit there, you listen to them, you do what you can, and then you try and provide them with another resource in addition to your service. Don't just send them off. Make sure that they know they can come back to you if that avenue doesn't work. I got somebody else that might be able to help. But just keeping yourself a part of their lives and looking at them as more than just the next person in line, the next room, I'm going to the next room, the next chart. Mm-hmm. And people are not just their charts. They are their actual problems. Mm-hmm. What can, um, you know, there's been a lot of talk about the, the sorts of things in the political sphere. Um, we just had an election recently. And even prior to that, this discussion has come about how to, um, address disparities in healthcare, how to improve overall healthcare. Um, what do you imagine, or what would you like to see elected officials do, if anything, if they can do anything to address some of the issues that you brought to the fore? I would like to see the uh, officials establish programs to teach people about health insurance. I think that that would make a very, very huge, good, huge impact on how people use health insurance. Mm-hmm. I think that um, it was a very, uh, I think that it was a mistake for them to first penalize people for financially for not having insurance before teaching people exactly how to use their insurance. Realizing that a lot of people do not know their benefits. And they don't, they just let their doctors kind of charge away. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they get a bill later, then it's usually, oh, I need to call my doctor and dispute this bill or figure this bill out when you should know, looking exactly at your ELB, what, who you saw, what this service was for, why this was paid, and, and if you have any overage. For a clarification, ELB is an estimate of benefits. Estimate. Yes. Right. Oh, yes, exactly. Yes. Sorry. Yeah, you know, no. numbers and, and, <laughs> and letters are all in my hands. But okay. yes, so I would love to. I actually think that would make so preventative health care education and health insurance education would make a world of difference. Alternative wellness. I would also like to see them offer uh, one of these companies to offer a fully alternative insurance health insurance plan. 
Some of my patients would love to see an acupuncturist regularly, but their insurance won't pay for it. Some, every person with insurance should be able to go to a massage therapist or to a massage place anywhere and show their insurance and have that be covered. Like if I pay, if that's taken out of my check, then at least let me get a massage once a month. That's preventative. So just giving more action-based preventative services like that and offering an alter- alternative wellness plan. That's what I want. <laughs> Massages, what does that prevent? Just to help people understand a little bit, because you mentioned these services or alternative services as preventative, preventive care, preventative care. What, what is it preventing? Because a lot of people probably don't know that. Mm-hmm. Pain, especially um, things that we uh, deal with on a daily basis, neck pain, mid-back pain, and low-back pain are very, very common. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think I, last time I checked, it was like 59% of people, Americans, suffer from low-back pain. And that's just general. We haven't even gotten into the causes. There are various, various causes of the low-back pain. Mm-hmm. But on a daily basis, our postures and how we interact with our environment cause us general pain. There are three major things that cause misalignment in our bodies, trauma, toxins, and hold on, trauma, toxins, and thoughts, your mind. Oh, it's always the mind. And it's funny. That's the one I Ironic. <laughs> yeah, so that's thoughts. The way you think can actually cause you physical stress. Wow. Trauma. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that is number one. That is number one. Change. We could do a whole show on it, Francine, I swear. <laughs> we have to come back and have another conversation. Yes. Absolutely. So that's trauma, physical stress. And that's sitting all day, that's standing all day. Any posture that you take for any long period of time without doing the opposite and then toxins that's in the air that's what you eat that's that's your biochemistry so those three things educate people on those three things and you can make a world of difference mm-hmm. well i appreciate it you really covered a lot of ground in this conversation and hopefully <laughs> last conversation are there any parting words that you have either for elected officials or for uh, people in general who might be listening? Yeah, well, okay. Yeah, sure. Come see your chiropractor. I could not get off of this interview without saying find yourself a chiropractor and a healthcare practitioner and know and talk to your doctors. But what you're striving for when you have this, when you're on this search is you want to be the most influential thing, person, place in your life. That is how you take control of your health and well-being. You control your environment. You control how you think. You can't always control trauma, but you can exercise so that your body is strong enough to endure the trauma that you do incur. So. You can be and you have the power. And that's all I want everybody to understand is it's within you if you want to do the research. So be the most positive influence in your environment always. And with that, again, I thank you, Dr. Lauren, for your time. I appreciate you. Thank you. Have a good day. 
Thank you for tuning in to this edition of Coincast with Dr. Lauren Harden. Feel free to listen to any of our podcasts at our website at www.pointcast.news. Also, feel free to check us out on our social media pages on Instagram and on Facebook at Pointcaster. Thank you so much.